What a sweet spirit in here this morning. I was uh, mentioning to Pastor Tim before the service that um, I really want to express God's heart as we talk through these things. And I wish the worship hadn't been so good, and, but I feel his presence. So before we start, I need to clarify a couple things. One is last week, Pastor Carroll um, talked about a, a counseling session he had about 40 years ago, where the guy left, calling him names. And my first thought was, oh, I've done that. And then I thought about other people that I knew had done that. So I wanted to thank you for your consistency. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the things I love about you. <laughs> but more than that, I just want you to know I did not call your names. I just muttered. <laughs> okay, and then I have to throw up a slide. I had to send in my notes. Have them okayed. But I didn't send the real notes. So I'm not guaranteeing that this will be that way. So let's stand as we read Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. We're going to start, we're just going to go through these three verses. Um, and there will be lots of observations, questions. You can draw your own conclusions. But you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And it says liberty in some translations. I think New King James and some others uses the word liberty. And it's, it's freedom from slavery. You're un you have an ex absence of external restraints. And it's all internal government. You are totally free. And one of the things I've loved about this series in Galatians is... I've experienced more freedom in the last two months than I can remember because every time I think of something that doesn't match with the word, I hear the word in the back of my head that says, but you're free. You're called to freedom. And so we have liberty. We, uh, we have freedom, totally free. Actually, if, I don't know if you know it or not, but if you're born again, you were actually completely free at that moment. And we slowly end up giving some of it back. And I think that's what we want to talk about here in this first verse. Because often as we mature, or at least with many I know, the verse creeps in that all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. And that's usually used to allow you to go back to some of the things that you left. Because there's the other verse that has gotten me a couple times is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all things are new as long as you're attached to Jesus. 
As soon as you detach, everything you were is ready to take you back at any time. And that's the problem. The only problem with crucified flesh is every morning it wants to resurrect. At least it does in me. And uh, 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And you will never defeat evil if you are a participant with it. You cannot. And I'm not, I mean, if you're watching the news, and I would suggest you don't watch much, um, there's a lot of evil out there. And if you're participating with it, you have no voice against it. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, but, I, but take care that this, this right, this freedom of yours, did not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And I want to reinterpret that because I am a Greek scholar, unbeknownst to most of you. I have a dictionary and a lexicon. But take care of this right or freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to you. And I was looking, and some of you are going to be old enough to remember this, in 1970, the Temptations put out a song. Some of you just have to trust me and look it up on Google. Some of you remember, though. And it was called A Ball of Confusion. And um, it's, it was all about all the ills of the world. And the ball of confusion was the earth. And I read through the lyrics, and it's pretty applicable now. It's just accelerated a little bit from what it was. But when I was doing this, uh, putting this stuff together, um, at the end of the chorus, it says, and the band played on. Actually, it says, and the band played on. <laughs> and so when I was putting this together, and I started looking at some of these things where, where we give up our freedom, the, the chorus came back to me. Now, I haven't listened to this song probably since the 70s. <clears throat> and it was, and the world creeps in. And the world creeps in. And that's what happens. There's so many um, things that are trying to get your attention. We're supposed to be living in freedom and not giving any room for the flesh. And then, so I want to ask, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today, so you might want to write them down because I want answers next week. Like old habits. They come back. And when I said earlier that 2 Corinthians 5.17 was a problem, is it actually hooked me. Because somebody said, let's go do this. I said, I don't know. He said, no, you're a new creature, brother. That guy is dead. That guy is very much alive. And you say, how does a Bible verse hook you and entice you to do something you really don't want to do or know you shouldn't do. And that's because it's taken completely out of context. And it gives me a license to do what I already wanted to do because I'm a new creature. And the world creeps in. 
I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying it was convenient. And so I want to ask you, what vice does the world have that entices you? And this isn't, this isn't a message to make you feel guilty or, or it's not legalism. It's to get you to search your heart. Because for the days we're in, if for you to have the presence of God like we had this morning, you're going to have to get back to the true freedom you have and quit mixing it up with the flesh because it's so easy to do. The flesh is bad. Spirit is good. If you remember that, you get the whole lesson. In what ways does your life resemble the unbeliever? I was thinking about this. Like if I was out anywhere, would anybody know that I was different than anybody else? Or would they think, well, he's just the same. I've talked to a lot of people who, they let their language become usage for the flesh. I don't know if you've ever talked to Christians that like to tell you they're free, so they cuss. But they don't use the bad ones. They only use the kind of middle of the road ones. And then they'll say something like, well, brother, you just need to loosen up. We're free. They'll actually have said, I hope that doesn't make you uptight. Believers need to relax a little. And I think that's why sometimes we're in the condition that we're in. If you have to convince me that you're free, you're not free. Because if you were, you wouldn't care what I thought. And the world continually creeps in. Fear comes at the end of your faith. The Bible says fear over 300 times. I think it's 365, but I didn't want to give you a definite number because then I'd have to count them. And so I want to ask you, why do you fear? At what point do you hit the end of your trust in Jesus and take it over for yourself? Or does watching what's happening in the world produce fear in you? Why is that? Or gossip in the name of intercession. We need the facts so we can pray. No, you've got it backwards. You need to pray to get the facts. And the world creeps in. And it's these little foxes that keep stealing your freedom. And you think you're free. And you're in bondage. I'm sure when uh, Paul was sure when he wrote to the church in Philippi, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he was sure. And I want to ask you, are you sure? Because freedom in Christ is not freedom from him. It's freedom in him. It doesn't give me license. It gives me opportunity. Which means that everything I am, everything I do, Everything is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That means whatever I watch needs to be cleared by him. Whatever I read needs to be cleared by him. How I speak. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with him. I don't compare myself to you. I only compare myself to my obedience. And it isn't legalism, but it is legalistic. This is a legal book. There's stuff that we must do. But it's not legalism. He says, be holy for I am holy. That's pretty legalistic. If you think about it. 
because you can't just get up and be holy. You're going to have to do something about it. If you can't relinquish your freedom to someone else, you aren't free. You're still bound by your own desires because freedom means you're free. Can you give it up? Paul gave it up. My freedom is to change history with him. My city, my country, my world, and even my family's history. If I am free, I can change the lineage of everything in my life because I'm getting direct input from him, from a father who loves me, who cares about me, who wants the best for me, and isn't wanting a mixture of the flesh in with the freedom that he purchased. One of these days I'm going to remember to remember where I was. You and I are also slaves to Christ, willingly giving back our freedom to him. And obedience is going to be critical in the days ahead. We're trying to look like him to the rest of the world. We have no idea what that's going to look like out there. But we do know what it looks like in here. And he's promised us everything. And we aren't going to have time to decide. We're just going to have time to obey. The Bible says get wisdom and in all you're getting get understanding. That's Proverbs 4.7. It also says in Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. If you get wisdom and you want understanding, obey. And you'll have understanding. He says that. And always remember that the devil doesn't have to destroy you. He just has to distract you. And if he distracts you, you'll destroy yourself. He doesn't have to do anything more with that. Because if you're a believer, the road to destruction always starts inside. It never comes externally. It's something you birth, the destruction. So we have to give no place to the flesh in any way. Don't compromise to be accepted. Don't compromise your, your words, your actions, your deeds. Don't compromise anything. You're not that free. Actually, the older we get, the more bound to freedom we should be. And the more bound to Christ. It shouldn't be new believers that live and act better than I do. Okay. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what does love look like? We've talked about this many times. It's the wedding verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And every interaction you have with every human being, according to, to Galatians, is supposed to look like this. And I bet there's a good percentage of you that have already blown it the day. But the only way to walk in love is to be totally free. Without fleshly involvement. If I gave you some water... 
and said, you want, want a drink? And you said, yes. And I handed it to you. And, you, and then I said, oh, by the way, there is a few drops from the toilet in here. Would you drink it? But that's what we do to God. We, we are completely clean and free. And we add some flesh. We hand it back to him and say, use us. And he's looking at it going, can't. Can't use you. I think Pastor Tim this morning was talking about the, you know, uh, purity. You know, white, something like white isn't white. Or was that up here? Was that the Holy Spirit talking to me? <laughs> you, all, you all do sound alike. So the, the, uh, what it was is we had a, a pastor in Arkansas who had a white dog. And it looked perfectly white until he put it against the snow. And it looked kind of brown and nasty. And I think sometimes we think our purity looks like the white dog. And God thinks it looks like the white dog against the snow because we've added the flesh to it. And he's not mad. He only wants you to get rid of it for your sake. Because you can't get any closer than your life will allow. I just went through a season where I felt like God was like way out there, you know, like I'd cashed in my card. Just kind of, I mean, I am getting to be one of the older people in the room, so you just kind of think, well... I did my time, but I couldn't sense his presence, and it was all because I'd allowed my thinking, my, I mean, I was talking to somebody, and I'm not going to mention their name, and they said this to me, and, I, and it really, it, it struck. They said, you don't respond like you used to respond, and I was like, yeah, I know. You know, the thing is that you already know everything that's going on with you, you're either suppressing it or it's hidden. But you already know. The Holy Spirit's already shown you because he's faithful like that. Because he wants to stay in good fellowship with you. And when you're trying to love people, if you've added junk to your freedom, you can't really love them. Because this is agape love. This is the pure bottle with none of the mixture in it. It's the self-sacrificing, no requirements love of God expressed to us. And no response or anything changes his love towards us. And he wants to get us to a place where no response or anything else changes my love towards you. But if there's anything in me that still not submitted to him, it will be offended every time you don't respond the way I think you should respond. And it'll be, it'll even sound good. It'll be like, do you know what they did? Can you believe it? Let's pray. Let me tell you what they did first. <laughs> it was horrible. I can't believe it. I don't even think they're saved. It's agape love. If I need some kind of response from you, and we've had this earlier in the in these series, it isn't even love, it's selfishness. If I get upset because my wife doesn't respond 
after I try to help in the house. It was never about her. It was about me. And we can't live like that. It's not agape love. And we had that slide, I think they're going to put it back up, that Tim used a couple times. That when we're truly free, we never look down on anybody. We're never jealous of anybody. We're never afraid. We're not controlled by what other people think. And we never see problems the same. But let me, let me clarify this, too. It's not that I don't care what you think because I don't care. It's I don't care what you think because I'm not going to let it in. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that the truth spoken out of love doesn't hurt. And we need to be sensitive to that. When you're trying to love people, it's not about just saying what's true. And sometimes we need to remember that the truth does hurt and doesn't always need to be spoken. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But we're supposed to love. And to love like God means it's not contingent on your response. His love gives me value. I refuse to give you that value. When I receive his value, I can give you value. But if I don't receive his value, I will take from you whatever value you think you have. He loves you anyway, even when you're a knucklehead. You've heard it many times that you can't make him love you more or less. And Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it's a supernatural love. It's not a man-made love. And through love, through agape, love one another. So we have to receive it. It's a supernatural love so that we can give it. And there is nothing that's dependent on me or nothing that's dependent on you except receiving that love. And you know when you've been loved properly. And you know when you've been loved improperly. Because it's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing. He is love. If you're expressing true love, you're expressing him. When you're not expressing him, or you're expressing parts of you and him, it's not bringing the life that it was designed to bring. There are going to be times that you're hurt, and it doesn't really matter as long as you respond properly. Love dictates that you have to confront, but it must be spoken in love. Ephesians 4.14 says we are may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind or doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And when I am free, there's nothing attached to my words. And as long as I'm bound, everything is attached to my words. Matthew 24, 12 says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that is agape love, which means at one time they had it, the genuine article. It also means at some point they forgot. And they walked away. And if you're to love your neighbor, you can't afford to lose your love. And God's presence, see, it's in his presence. Like this morning, 
when we were having worship, it's in his presence that you begin to be transformed into his likeness, which means you start to act like him and talk like him and be with him. And all my struggles come when I don't spend time in the presence of God because then I don't have anything to give. I have no life that's coming through me, nothing that's, that's going to enable you to go, enable you to do better, to do well, whatever's needed. You see, there's no formula my only formula and your only formula is to be so connected to him that I know exactly what every person needs. And that's the only way to do it. I can't get up in the morning and say, okay, today I'm going to love everybody by giving them donuts. That's right, because they're bad for you. Just remember that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's no formula. It only comes from presence, from being with him. And if you're ever around somebody who's truly connected to the Lord, you just want to stand by them. Yeah. Just keep moving around where they go. You just, yeah. I used to stay by Pastor Carroll because I knew lightning would never hit him. <laughs> but there's better ways. <laughs> Get full of him. Start to deliver him to others. There should be nothing of me left. There really shouldn't. Now, I know there is, and if you poke me, I'll squeal. But the goal is to never, to not be connected at all to myself. I am a slave to Christ. I need to wipe out the flesh and what it's doing in my life. I need to find out why I'm not completely free in every area and deal with it. Because it is legal and it can be done. And he's provided everything. I don't really have to do much. But the more I do that, the more I can go anywhere in the world and deliver his word, his love, his kindness. YWAM just got back from, I think, Egypt, Mexico, and Ukraine, delivering the love of God. And it doesn't matter whether you do that or you go downtown. It doesn't matter until he comes back. We're just to be about our Father's business. Purely. Not mixed, not syncretism, but completely holy. And that does mean you're going to isolate yourself to some degree. To really love people, you're going to have to isolate yourself because other people don't want to be with you. It's too Christian, too legal. There will be a group that does. But we're responsible for the coming revival. You know there is going to be a revival. Big one. It's going to be a big one. <laughs> I don't want to watch. I want to be a part of it. Amen. Every time I watch a missionary video, I want to go. I can't help it. It's in my bones. But it's not going to do any good to go if I'm not connected to the vine. In a way that the still small voice says, go this way, go that way. Do this, do that. Tell him this. Tell I was having coffee last week with somebody that I just met him the first time. It's the first time this has ever happened in my life. Twice. I had a really good quiet time that morning, which, okay, don't get legal on me. It was just a good quiet time. So anyway, I'm talking, we're having coffee, and all of a sudden, this sentence rushes through my brain, which, don't be alarmed, there's a lot of them that don't get out, but this one, <laughs> this one did get out. And he looked at me and he said, God told me that this morning. Amen. And I think it did more for me than it did him. 
And then later on in the conversation, we had another encounter like that. And I realized that I had made things so difficult. Stay connected. Deal with the flesh. Love your neighbor. That's it. You know, the whole book of Galatians is Paul is an impassionate father. Like, why are you doing these dumb things? That's, that's a paraphrase. But, but you know what I mean. It's a passionate thing. He's not angry. I mean, he's frustrated. I've got kids. I've been frustrated. And Paul's like, you, you've completely misused your freedom. You're not loving your neighbors. And he doesn't want us to be that way. We can change history. The verse that we like to quote, if my people are called by my name. We, we say that a lot. Sometimes we don't say 13 because that's a little bit more uh, tougher. He's usually not real happy with us at that point. But you can change history. Have you ever wondered, this is just an observation, so don't answer. I don't even know if there is an answer. Have you ever noticed how many things we pray for that don't happen? I don't know why. I just wondered if you ever thought about that. Because there's times where I'm praying and I'm thinking, I have about this much faith. Because we already have plan B ready and plan C is in the wings if we need it. And there's nothing wrong with planning. I'm probably not the guy to talk to about that. But there's nothing wrong with being ready and planning. And, and I mean, Joseph was a prepper, right, in Egypt. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with that. Holy Spirit totally left. I have no idea where I was going with that one. <laughs> the way to continue to expand the kingdom is to learn to love. And when you truly learn to love, you'll be serving each other. And it doesn't always mean it'll be easy or soft, but it will be loving. And sometimes the highest good for someone is painful. But there are some ways that we don't love others. And I want to give you just three, and then you can add to your list as you want. Number one, we tolerate emotional immaturity. And we act like it's so good. Do you know how many times... I don't know if you do this, but there's times where I don't say it because I don't want to have to deal with the fallout. It's just like, do you know that's sin? Leaving somebody in their mess and not trying to help them out just because it's not going to be fun. But we tolerate emotional immaturity. Or we'll say something like this. We, in my DTS, many years ago, we had a guy from New York who was kind of rude. Well, actually, he was really rude. And by the end of the school, this is what they said. Well, he's from New York. That was not a loving thing to do, to leave him like that. We have to grow up. We have to tell people, grow up. Come on, you can do it. Don't allow for emotional immaturity to let someone sit there and waste away. It's just not worth it. Number two, we emphasize doing for God instead of being with him. And that's easy to do, especially in Western cultures, as we, we want to do stuff. 
And so we put the emphasis on the outreach more than we do the inreach with him. And then thirdly, we often evaluate success by statistics. You know, which wouldn't make Jesus really good, I guess, as far as evangelists go. Well, he was really good. Don't take that off there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Carol, you want to come stand by me? <laughs> All right. Verse 15. It's my third point, my third verse. Uh, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And biting and devouring can mean to hurt or silence one another. Uh, seeing what God wants to do but being so hurt that you can't deliver it. Or you don't dare say it. And I'll say now you can tell me anything. We are family. I give you the freedom to say anything you like at any time. I may hit you, but you'll get over it. And we, we devour each other with all kinds of things, with our words, with our actions. Um, Mark 8.15 says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the leaven of Herod is a political spirit. It's politics. I'm not talking about parties. I'm talking about partnering with a political spirit. And the, a political spirit always needs an enemy. It, it's not happy without somebody to fight. And when names come to your mind, just pray for them. Or talk to them. Maybe not. Maybe just talk to yourself. It needs somebody to stand against, and it demonizes anyone who doesn't agree with it. Have you seen that lately? Uh, maybe vaccines, masks, lockdowns, governors. What's it cause immediately? A fight. That's a political spirit. Now, of course, the, the big political spirits are trying to run countries and nations and that, but you can partner with that same spirit to bring division and start devouring one another. It's not a viewpoint, but against someone else. You must align with me or I will distance myself from you. And may even despise and speak against you. And the church has been dealing with this for the last two years. In every church, everybody I talk to in a church is dealing with this constant political battling over what opinions are supposed to be being done. So people under the influence of a political spirit feel and have a stubborn stance over what they believe. Key words trigger a hostile response so that a person cannot see any middle territory or cannot hear a different viewpoint or see an in-between perspective. I'm not saying compromise on your values. What I'm saying is drop the aggressive confrontation in a spiritual way so that you're not partnering with a political spirit. Because you'll never bring unity when you start bringing in politics and political spirits. 
Success is measured by influence and control. And we all have seen that where if you can be, if people will try to control you, they'll try to influence you, they'll try to get you to do things under their ideas and you'll join together. And if you'll notice what's really happening now, there is no more individual. It's tribal and group. Nobody stands alone anymore. At least not of people I've seen. If my opinion of you, or if my opinion, sorry, is greater to me than your value as a brother or sister, I will bite and devour you. And there's no way around it. Just last week I had a conversation with someone. I'm the guilty party, just so you know. About two-thirds of the way into the discussion, I let my emotions get involved. And that didn't go well. Then I tried to fix it an hour later and made it worse. But at least I'm on one track. So the next morning I came in and I had to apologize. I said, my opinion has got nothing to do with your value as my sister. Oh, now you know it's a girl. (laughs) But you know what happened? Our relationship immediately went back. And there's nothing there at all. But when I let my opinion get to be greater than your value, I will bite and devour you. And I even told her, don't get in a battle of wit with me, you're unarmed. Not a wise thing to say. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A political spirit puts our perceived convictions ahead of kindness. Because you won't be kind. And I say perceived conviction because uh, if you know what a conviction is, you will die for it. And I'm not sure that everybody would die for their opinions, even though they think very highly of them. And I saw a post from Afghanistan yesterday. I'm not sure. I tried to find it again to, to reread it, but it was a lady who was calling in to a church that was meeting. And... Uh, She was talking to a lady. They were all there praying and singing together. They knew that their time was coming. The children had come in and said, we will not deny Christ. And while she was on the phone, they came in. And she heard gunshots, and then the phone went dead. That's conviction. We have to learn to stand on conviction. You can't stand in preference. you won't be able to do that if you continue to have a political spirit or partner with a political spirit where you try to control and manipulate everything around you. You've got to give up. Just be his. All right, Pharisees, they represent a religious spirit. Self-righteousness, criticism, legalism, perfectionism. By the way, whenever you put an ism at the end of a word, It gets way much bigger than it's supposed to be. It almost becomes its own God. Division, unbelief, doubt, guilt, condemnation, and intolerance 
or some characteristics of a religious spirit. Promotes an unrealistic standard that can't be obtained, usually based on law. And it produces a form of godliness. Second Timothy 3.5 says, Having an, the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And if you go verses 2 through 4, it tells you what such people are. Lovers of self and, and all that. Never forget that religious people killed Jesus. It was only the religious people that had a problem with him, and he didn't like religion. And they war against the idea that it is finished. And you can pick up a religious spirit every time someone is trying to convince you that you need to do more. That, that they're trying to put on you things that God's already taken away. Which is everything. Right? He's taken everything. We're free. Still not sure what that means, but we are free. I mean, the depth of that. I haven't experienced the depth of freedom that I know I have. And religious people have no power in Jesus. He did not like religion. They war against the idea that it's finished. And they, they try to earn separation from the crowd. If someone tries to make you feel better about yourself only, you're dealing with a religious spirit that's trying to separate you from everybody to make you better so you'll feel like you're better. And we see it in every church. Everyone has an opinion that they highly respect that uh, tries to get me to be like them, so, but I'm not sure why. So that I can be better, I, I don't know. But we need to quit devouring one another. Another area of um, where we divide, bite and devour is when we uh, compare ourselves to each other. In other words, if I'm comparing what God's doing in your life and not celebrating it, I will bite and devour you. Or let's say I'm praying for a car, you're praying for a car, you get a car, I get mad. That's biting and devouring. Instead of celebrating the fact that God gave you a car. You see the difference? Because we deal with this every day, pretty much. It's an effort to bring more value to, to me. Like if I'm comparing myself to you, I'm trying to elevate me above other people and continually criticizing the work of God. Especially if you think you've been overlooked. You know, like you should have been the one that got the promotion or you should have been the one that got this or you should have been the one that got that. And I can't appreciate your unique gifting if I'm comparing myself to you. I will be either jealous or envious. And when I was working, when I was with YWAM, one of the hardest things to do was to learn to appreciate everybody else's giftings and not try to take them or to suppress them, especially if somebody was really gifted and you had a higher position. That's really hard to do. Not anymore. I was young. I outgrew it, I think. We don't need anything any more than we have now. Or rationalizing. If you rationalize, you will bite and devour. Yes, I was a jerk, but if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been a jerk. That's rationalization. And it puts it back on you, and it's not good. And we need to quit doing that to devour one another. And one of the 
blessings of the new member class that uh, Kevin and I have been doing is that people are asking to serve. They don't want to sit in the church. They just, they'll, we don't even ask them. They'll just say, we don't want to just sit in church. We want to do something. And we have a responsibility to live in a way that what they do doesn't produce flesh, a lack of love, or dividing. dividing. Because we can't let this opportunity pass. I mean, the bowls are filling fast in heaven, I think, right now. And the great revival is coming, and it's going to be terribly joyful and crazy. And you know, I was, when I was thinking, and we're going to close here in just a minute, when I was thinking about, uh, at the beginning of the book, I, I think we did uh, justification, sanctification, there was a chart that had all those things, and I looked at the chart, and I thought, huh, justification, I took everything off the chart, I think, um, except the bottom one, which said justification is immediate. Sanctification is over time. And then I thought, okay, what did justification require of me? Surrender. That's it. I didn't do anything for it. God offered it. I said, okay. What does sanctification require for me? Surrender. He does it all. He changes you by the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more into his likeness as you're walking this out. But you don't do anything. It's a lot like when Abraham, or Abram at the time in Genesis 15, when God made the covenant, what did Abraham, Abram do? Nothing. He slept. Kept the vultures away for a little while until it got dark. But he didn't do anything. He surrendered. And that's all that's required of us to do all of these things. To surrender. Let God show you how have you let the flesh in? How have I not loved my brothers? And how am I biting and devouring the brethren and other people? And He will. The Holy Spirit will show you. You are free. Free to love Him, free to serve, free to love others. And understanding my freedom helps me love you and brings me into true fellowship with Him. Because you can't get to me. And in these days, I need to know what's on his mind. For sure. So to summarize, you have two don'ts and one do. This week. Don't indulge the flesh. Do love others. Don't hurt people. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, you love us so much, and you provide everything that we need for life and godliness, and you have loved us since before time, and you love us now, and I pray that every word that was from you would be sealed in our hearts, and anything that wasn't would just evaporate before we leave these doors, that it would be gone. But I pray, Lord, that throughout this week, you'll just... Give us little hints of areas of the flesh that have crept in as the world dumps on us every day and brings us back to itself, that you will highlight what we need to deal with and get rid of. 
that you would show us what it's really like to love a neighbor and to speak the truth in love and to cry with those who are crying and to laugh with those who are laughing and be completely safe people with everybody that no one would ever fear anything when they're around us. And Lord, where we've picked up religious and political spirits and we rationalize and we justify, would you just show us that as well? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, remove it as we identify it. And we realize you do it. We just recognize it. We're getting ready to have some new schools on campus. We're getting ready to start Bible studies on campus. The women are back for the... uh, Bible study, Lord, would you bless all these outworkings of your kingdom here in this church and turn all of us into people who just love you and don't care about anything else but you.